Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This podcast is sponsored by the Women in Revenue. Welcome to Theodora Speaks. You've all heard me talk about learning from failure, failing forward. There's so much lessons that we learn when we fail that we can appreciate the taste when we succeed. And Kim Casey Campbell is such a great example of a woman who talks about failing forward and how her courage and confidence has gotten her to persevere through many situations in life. Today's conversation with retired Colonel Kim Casey Campbell is a thrilling one, and I rarely use the word thrilling when I record with my podcast guests, but I promise you, you're going to be on the seat of your chair in one of the most do-or-die situations in Kim's life. Colonel Kim Casey Campbell is a retired United States Air Force officer and command pilot. She was decorated for piloting her A-10 Thunderbolt back to base in southern Iraq after taking heavy anti-aircraft artillery damage in an aerial combat over Baghdad during Operation Iraqi Freedom in 2003. During Kim's 24 years of service, she completed multi-deployments holding successful leadership positions. It took the right stuff for her to survive, and she has what it takes to be a fearless, flexible, and authentic leader. Kim has flown over 1,800 hours in the A-10 Warthog, including over 100 combat missions. To say she has experience as a fighter pilot is an understatement. She's also a wife, a keynote speaker, a mother, an author of Flying in the Face of Fear. I loved what she had on her website talking about fear. Kim says, we all face fear. It can stop us from doing what's important. But how can we improve if we don't learn from our failures and mistakes? We need courage. And Kim talks about courage and confidence, two pillars in my five-pillar methodology on calculated risk-taking. So I felt compelled to interview Kim because she talks about two of my five pillars. She talks about fear and she just lights up a room. She's not what you would think when you think about who a fighter pilot would look like or even have a persona of. And that may sound stereotypical, right? But it's not at all what you think about when you think of a fighter pilot. But her courage and beauty go hand in hand. And Kim isn't called KC, killer chick, for nothing. Listen, for when KC gets vulnerable with us and shares she was rejected from flight school. Women in Revenue lives in a world where every woman has 
access to a thriving, supportive community of powerful, diverse, and daring members. As a nonprofit organization, they exist to serve women in revenue-generating roles across marketing, customer success, and sales, with goals of workplace equity, inclusion, and career acceleration. Women in Revenue is a transformative organization which elevates, highlights, and encourages future female leaders. Their community strives to remove barriers and power career trajectories forward. Together, they unlock new opportunities for women in revenue, generating roles through networking, education, mentorship, and many other benefits. Visit womeninrevenue.org for more information. Colonel Kim Campbell, it is an honor to have you with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. So your nickname is KC, and most people would think, well, it's Kim Campbell, but that's not correct. What does it stand for? That's true. It is uh, It is my initials, but it actually stands for Killer Chick. And that's kind of stuck with you all this time, right? It has. So the rule is when you get a call sign in the fighter pilot community, you'll keep that call sign for life once you've flown with it in combat. And I got my call sign very early in my career and then very quickly went and flew combat missions. And so it is, it has stayed with me throughout my entire 24 years in the military. That's great. Do your kids call you Casey? Oh, no, (laughs) no. (laughs) My husband does because he's also a former fighter pilot, but my kids do not. (laughs) So Kim, finish this sentence. It's not the fear that matters. It's the. It's what you do when you are scared that matters. And yeah. you talk about that in, in keynotes, right? I do. I think it's so important. I, for so long throughout my career, I felt pressure to be this like invincible, fearless fighter pilot, you know, tough exterior. And I realized over time that just one, it wasn't realistic, but also, you know, the other fighter pilots didn't feel that way either. It was just this, you know, this pressure sometimes that we put on ourselves to be something that we're not. And I realized that it's not so much when you feel fear, that's a totally normal reaction, you know, fear, stress, anxiety, those are all very, very normal feelings. And I think sometimes I would be more worried if we didn't feel that way. Um, But it's what you do in that moment with the fear, like, can you be afraid and still take action? Can you be still stressed or worried or feel anxious about something and still step up and, and take action. So to me, that's the most important part. It's not that feeling that sometimes we feel like makes us weak or vulnerable. It's what we do with it. And not enough people talk about fear. So I like how you would address it. And more people do need to address it because it's a commonality that we all experience in life during certain, certain situations, yes. certain periods of time. And so it's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of addressing it and, and acting in the moment, like you said. And you and I have a few things in common. I'm not a fighter pilot, but I talk about addressing fear and failing forward. And yes. I've heard you in, in recorded keynotes talk about failing forward. And you touch upon two of my five pillar methodology around calculated risk-taking, courage, and confidence. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I... I originally, you know, when I walked into my fighter squadron on day one, there were 33 female fighter pilots in the entire Air Force out of more than 3,000. And so I put so much pressure on myself and I was so 
afraid of making mistakes. I was afraid of failing. You know, I just, I hated it. I felt like I was going to ruin it for all the other women that followed me. And so I put a lot of pressure on myself that really didn't exist. And I think what I realized through that is one, you're going to make mistakes, right? There, it's You're going to fail at some point. And so it's so important to figure your response in that moment of how do you respond to mistakes and failures? That's what matters the most. You know, can you learn from it? Can you take those lessons and then make sure you change your behavior the next time? So it wasn't an easy transition. It took me some time to get to that, you know, from that really that fixed mindset where I didn't want to try new things. I was nervous about pushing myself too far because I didn't want to fail to the point where I realized that even the instructors, I mean, they were watching us to see how would we would respond in those moments. You know, they knew we were going to make mistakes. They knew we were going to fail. What they were looking for is somebody that could kind of get, you know, get back up, dust yourself off and then get back in the jet, you know, give it another go. And so it took me some time to really come to grips with that. I still put a lot of pressure on myself, but once I just recognize that it is okay to make mistakes, it is okay to fail. You just have to be able to move on from it. Let it go, learn the lesson, don't do it again and move on. What's a tip or a technique that you use that you tap into when you find yourself in that sort of uh, moment of failure and fear and that response? How do you get through it? Um, so in a moment of failure where I recognize that I've made a mistake, I actually think back to kind of some of my early experiences, you know, where I didn't let it go and it snowballed where I just, I was in the airplane. I knew I had made a mistake and I just couldn't let it go. I kept thinking about the mistake. I kept thinking about, I've made more mistakes. I'm going to fail this ride. I'm never going to pass pilot training. I'm never going to get the fighter I wanted. I mean, that is not productive. And so I thankfully had that experience so early in my career that I can reflect on it in those moments and just tell myself, I take a minute, not a minute, sometimes a second <laughs> to just take a deep breath and say, let it go, move on, let it go. Easier said than done. I, um, you know, I'm still learning this, <laughs> this stage of my life that sometimes we beat ourselves up quite a bit, but I just remind myself, you've got to let it go. It is not productive to reflect on the past 30 seconds in that moment. You have to focus on the next 30 seconds to stay ahead. And, you know, it, it is important at some point to take the time to reflect and think about those lessons learned. But in that moment, when the mistakes happen, quick lesson learned, move on. Let's drill down to one of the big moments. Yeah. Uh, news 2020. So tell us more about the defining moment that Barbara Walters once said could be titled Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> I love that video. It's so much fun now to look back and reflect and watch it. Uh, it wasn't very fun at the time, but you know, I um, this was very early in my career. I was still fairly young in the airplane. Um, in the A-10 Warthog was the airplane that I flew, and our primary mission was to support the troops on the ground. And this was during Operation Iraqi Freedom. Uh, I had been with my unit about uh, about a year and a half, and we deployed to support our troops on the ground. I didn't know if I was going to be flying missions if or I was, you know, too young and I would just be in our mission planning cell doing kind of the paperwork map building side of things. Uh, but it turned out we need we needed every pilot we could get. And so I was tasked to support our troops on the ground. And this was on April 7th, 2003. So I had flown maybe 10 missions prior to this point, but we um, were tasked to fly all the way up to Baghdad. We would air refuel, so get gas before we would go do our tasking 
And then we would just wait. We would wait until the troops on the ground needed our help. And we did not wait very long because as soon as we arrived in what we call a stack, which is just aircraft stacked up, kind of waiting to flow in to support, we get this frantic call over the radio that our troops are taking fire and they need immediate assistance. It's one of those moments that we train for, but still it's, you know, the hair on the back of my neck stood up immediately, like my adrenaline starts pumping because I knew that our troops on the ground were under fire and we had to get in there as quickly as possible. So unfortunately the weather wasn't very good. We couldn't even see the ground below. There was this cloud layer, cloud layer over Baghdad and the way we operate, we have to get under the clouds. We could not operate through the clouds. So we had to get under the weather and we just got to that target area as quickly as we could above the weather. And then I remember my flight lead saying like, all right, Casey, like I'm gonna find a hole in the clouds. And as soon as you see that hole dive through. And I just remember watching him disappearing through the clouds. And, uh, and then I was just by myself above the weather and quickly saw a hole in the clouds. And he said, all right, Casey, it's your turn got down below the weather and even more surreal to me because we were now very low and I could see this firefight. I mean, there were bright flashes and smoke and tracers and it was it was very surreal because it was everything that we trained for and planned for, but then all of a sudden it's, it's real, it's happening. And I didn't wanna make a mistake. You know, I didn't wanna mess up. These were our troops on the ground and I knew I had to do my best to, so that they could get home safely to their families. So, my flight lead rolled in very quickly. Um, we had a target. We were, we were targeting some enemy hiding underneath a bridge. And my flight lead rolled in. And then I rolled in right behind him. We decided because at this point now, not only are we seeing the back and forth tracers across the river, we're starting to see these puffs of gray and white smoke around our airplanes. So now not only are they shooting at the troops on the ground, they're shooting up at us too. And so we decide we're going to just do one more pass each, get out of there, reassess, and then decide if we need to come back in. And my flight lead rolled in, came off target. I rolled in right behind him, put rockets down on the enemy location, and then pulled away from the target just as fast as I could to get away from the ground, away from the threats. And then I just heard this, the loudest noise at the back of my aircraft and this red-orange fireball, fireball enveloped my aircraft and I knew immediately I'd been hit. I mean, there was no doubt in my mind. It was loud, I could hear it, I could see it. And it dumped the airplane nose low. And I remember looking down at Baghdad and I could see the Tigris River and I pulled back on the control stick just instinctively and nothing happened. Like no, the airplane didn't respond, which was quite honestly terrifying. I just didn't even have time to think about it in the moment of how bad the situation could be. And I quickly tried to analyze the situation, trying to figure out what was going on. And I had like lights flashing everywhere up here, down at my side and looked down at my hydraulic gauges and realized that the system hydraulics, which control, helped control the airplane were completely depleted. They were gone. Um, somewhere in the explosion, they had dumped out of the airplane. And now I, I really had two choices. One, I could eject which I remember looking down at my ejection handles and I was like, uh-uh, no way am I gonna eject over Baghdad. This will not go well. And so really my only option, I will say at this point was to engage our backup emergency system. And thankfully I flipped the switch and I pulled back on the stick and the jet 
started to climb up and away from Baghdad. And that was for me, like the first time I could actually take a breath and think, okay, I could actually make it out of here alive. That is intense. Yeah. It feels intense still. <laughs> and it's not something that the average person goes through. Right. And I, I thank yeah. you for your service and your courage to keep all of us, you know, safe and free. Let's talk about the actual plane for a minute. You know, yeah. it's not what we see in Top Gun, those sexy looking fighter jets. It's a warthog. It's named yeah. that reason. It's not the prettiest bird in the sky. Nope, we are not the sleekest or sexiest airplane out there, but we get the job done. And thankfully, the airplane was built to take hits. It was really designed to take hits while performing its mission. So we have backup systems. We, the pilot, we actually sit in what we call the titanium bathtub. So our cockpit is surrounded by slabs of titanium for protection against enemy fire. So it's a tough airplane. I mean, I am so thankful to the people that designed and built and maintained it because it really, it's the only reason I got out of there alive. It's amazing. And they showed pictures when I was watching some of the interviews back in the early 2000s mm -hmm. of the aftermath of that plane. So you had to manually land the plane and they don't teach that in school, right? No, <laughs> they don't. They teach you how to fly in manual reversion, um, just so you can kind of get a feel for how it flies, but it's very difficult. It's very challenging. The airplane is very heavy. It, it's kind of one of those things you're like, okay, that's great. I don't ever want to use it. Let me switch back to normal mode. Uh, well, I didn't have that option on this mission. And um, Landing in this mode is not something that they teach. It's in the checklist, so if you have to do it, but generally we think about ejecting. Um, for me, I, well, I had an hour to fly the airplane um, to think through my decision of do I land, do I eject? Probably the hardest decision I've ever made because to me it felt like it could be this difference between life or death. I, you know, I didn't want to make the wrong decision. There's part of me that was hoping my flight lead would just make the decision for me, right? Tell me what to do. But he believed in me. He believed in my skills. And he said, Casey, it's a single seat airplane. You make the decision and I will back you up, which was awesome. It was empowering. It was also terrifying because now it's like, it's totally up to me. Um, but I felt very comfortable flying the airplane in the hour that I had to fly it. And um, the winds back at our home base were straight down the runway. I had very very experienced flight lead with me for that mutual support. And so I just, I felt in my gut, I could land the airplane, but not an easy decision. No. And to go, and to go through that, I mean, if you were to eject over Baghdad, we probably know what the outcome would be, right? Yeah. Talking not to good. Them. So you said, okay, this is the only way I can do it. Did you, you're, all you knew was to land it or was there any doubt in your mind? No, there was lots of doubt. <laughs> I, I think I felt like I could fly the airplane all the way back. I felt comfortable trying to land the airplane once we did all of our checks and things. And I knew I could get the gear down and all of these things that required backup emergency systems. Once I got a feel for how the airplane was flying, slow airspeed, I felt like I could land it. And I still felt like if no matter what, if there was a last minute thing that went wrong, I could eject if I needed to. So I felt like I had some backup plans, you know, kind of my worst case contingency plans and that I could use if I needed, but I felt confident in my decision. 
I was still nervous, but I felt confident because of my training, my preparation, the hour flying the airplane. And then, you know, it kind of came down to the last, like, all right, decision time, it's go time. And I remember coming in for that final approach and, um, you know, I didn't, I was definitely scared. I could hear it in my voice when I listened back to the radio, but I didn't think about it at the moment. I couldn't, I just couldn't let that fear creep in. I had to push all those terrible what if thoughts out of my mind and really focus on the task at hand of getting that airplane on the ground. And, you know, I remember coming down, I made my final radio call, trying to sound as confident and decisive as I could and uh, started down that final approach. And at about 60 feet to go, I crossed the landing threshold. So pretty close to the ground and the airplane just started this roll that I didn't anticipate uh, and I thought it was going to flip over on its back. And thankfully, I just yanked the stick back and it leveled everything out. And now about 30 feet. And I'm just thinking, OK, please let me make it. You know, I just it's kind of that last minute, last second prayer of let me make it. You know, please let me survive this. And then 10 feet and I'm just trying to hold it as steady as I can. And then the main gear hit and the nose gear. And it was like, oh, thank God, <laughs> you know, I'm on the ground uh, I don't, I have yet to come up with the word relief seems so understated, but I felt such a sense of relief being on the ground, being with my team. And then all radio protocol was out the window. And I heard all these calls over the radio from all the guys in my squadron who were watching and waiting for my return and just hearing their voices and hearing them and how supportive they were and how truly happy and grateful they were that I was back on the ground and safe was just it was overwhelming. It was kind of that finally kind of this moment of release. And then, and then I had to get the airplane stopped. Uh, so I got the airplane stopped and, and then I was just anxious to get out and see the extent of the damage. Oof. And where is that plane today? Uh, it sadly, um, it never flew again. They could not fix the amount of holes that were on the airplane. And so they took all the pieces and parts out of it that they could to fix other airplanes. Uh, and then they shipped it home in crates. It, it spent a few months, I think, in the uh, boneyard at Davis Monthan Air Force Base before they packaged it up and put it back on an airplane. And it is now uh, what we call an airplane on a stick. It's on display at Seymour Johnson Air Force Base. Um, and it is uh, a tribute to all the men and women who served during Operation Iraqi Freedom. It's on display there, um, just as a reminder of some of the, the things that we've all been through. That's wonderful. You need to call them for some scraps for, I know. Well, I do have one. There's actually uh, one here in my office, a piece of the airplane. Uh, and uh, they were, the maintenance was nice enough. They cut the stick out of the airplane. So the actual stick uh, is also uh, here in my office as a, it was a thank you gift from our maintenance team. Um, and I, I mean, gosh, I feel like I'm the one that needs to be thanking them, but they uh, were able to save that stick for me, which obviously has a lot of meaning. You see, my heart was pounding the entire time. Like That's I, I okay. Like, my heart still pounds too. <laughs> I didn't expect that to happen to me though. You know, that's, I mean, I keep going back to the word intense and, and you said you felt yeah. relief. Um, so, you know, flying the plane, it's risky business. It's life or death. And so what did you do the very next day? Well, there's still a war going on and we didn't have a lot of pilots flying. And so the next day I um, sat alert, combat search and rescue alert, which is 
usually downtime. It's a chance to relax and catch up on sleep, which is exactly what I needed. And um, then the alarm sounded because an A-10 pilot had been shot down in Baghdad, very close to where I had escaped my own shoot down. And, you know, I didn't even think about it. Those pilots were there for me the day before, the rescue crews, the alert crews. And so I just, we bolted up right from our cots. We were in an alert shack next to the runway, raced out to the jets, got our gear on and made an immediate takeoff. And I just, I didn't think about it. I only thought about there's another pilot on the ground. Those guys were there for me this, the day before. I was going to do the same for this pilot. And we just started gathering information, you know, where is the pilot at? What shot him down? What's his condition? And really just focusing on the task. Thankfully, he was uh, picked up by friendly ground forces. And so we only made it about 30 minutes into Iraq before we were told we should turn around uh, because he had already been picked up by friendly ground troops. I mean, he was incredibly lucky. Um, but for me, you know, I didn't I didn't think about it. It was probably the best way to get back in the airplane was just to get back into the fight. And um, I continued flying missions for several more, more months after that uh, before we before we went home. So I compartmentalized everything, kind of tucked it away for later to deal with later, because I don't think, um, I think it's unhealthy to keep it compartmentalized. I knew I would have to eventually kind of talk about it and think about it. Um, but I saved that for after we came back from combat. Wow. You're a real teammate, not only a hero, but that that's a true teammate. Yeah. It's um, I think it's this, camaraderie that we have in, in a fighter squadron of, you know, I, these weren't just guys in my squadron. They weren't just pilots in my squadron. I truly looked at them as my brothers and sisters. We finally had a, another female pilot show up uh, after a couple months. So I, you know, they were my brothers and sisters and I knew they would do anything for me. And we all understood the role that we played on the team and how we fit into the bigger picture. And so I, you know, I was going to do the same for them. It was just that camaraderie of, knowing that you have to work together in order to succeed. You have to support each other. It was very strong. I think going through combat, right? Going through hard things when we go through hard things with a team, I think it brings us closer together for sure. And you mentioned brothers and sisters in this. Yeah. Not a lot of sisters, right? They're only two. <laughs> yeah, not a lot of sisters. There was a, we eventually brought over more pilots and another female pilot came over. Um, and then we, uh, there was another female fighter pilot, one of the, in the uh, F-16 community as well. So there weren't many of us um, on the entire base of, you know, hundreds of uh, Air Force and Marine aviators. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know, it didn't matter. I think for me, by that, that point, I had proved that I was credible and capable in the airplane. Um, you know, certainly I think when I went into the squadron at first, there was a lot of question. I think people don't, it wasn't so much that they worried about me being a woman. They just didn't know how to respond and act and and once they figured that out, that I was just like the other pilots, I just sounded different. I looked a little bit different, but I could perform in the airplane. It, you know, it truly didn't matter. The jet doesn't know the difference. That's for sure. So. Well, the two pillars you talk about of my five courage and confidence. I mean, that's yeah. ringing through, through this story. So thank you for sharing that. And yeah, the confidence doesn't come without work, right? Like you got to put in the work to be competent and then the confidence can flow. And I think that's the thing for me is I just knew that I was going to work hard. I was going to have a good attitude. And because I was competent, I knew I could perform in the airplane. Like the confidence flowed with that. It, it took time. It wasn't like an overnight thing, but I think it's important. The more 
confident we are, the more confident we become. You said that best. Yes. Um, I love Wonder Woman as an aside. And my, I have yeah. two girls. They <laughs> love Wonder Woman. I need a KC figurine. I know. Well, the closest, like be- we got, <laughs> the closest we got to it was uh, when the new Top Gun Maverick came out there. You know, there is a female fighter pilot in the movie, Phoenix. And so there now is a Barbie doll named Phoenix, which, you know, the Barbies did not look like that when I was growing up. So it is nice to see that women are more represented, not just in the, the aviation and fighter pilot community, but I think, you know, there's, you know, there's women astronauts. There's a lot more, uh, there's a lot more Barbie figures out there that branch out a little bit of what women are truly capable of doing. Yeah. Which is wonderful. And I, th- I still think there's a big, big, big gap. I mean, you oh, know, yeah, getting there. Have a long way to go, <laughs> but it's one step at a time. And I, yeah. I love Phoenix in the movie. When did you decide Casey, like in Top Gun that you felt the need, the need for speed? I decided that I was going to be a fighter pilot in fifth grade, which I know is a long, uh, long time ago for me, but I decided in, so this was 1986, which I know is when Top Gun came out, but that is not why I decided I wanted to be a fighter pilot. For me, um, I actually was watching the, the space shuttle Challenger. Um, and for those of us that were around, we remember that that did not go well. I mean, I think we can all remember where we were and for me, there was something in that moment that I don't know why, but I mean, I, I cried like I knew those astronauts personally. I was just devastated by this accident. Um, but I also had this recognition that they died doing something that they believed in, something that was bigger and more important than themselves. Um, and it was also the first time I think that I had watched a space shuttle launch. So it was like this freedom of flight and this, I don't know, there's just something that I connected with. And I mean, I still, it's been, I don't know, 37 years if my math is correct. And there's something for me that I still, it's interesting to think back, like, why was that at that moment that I was like, oh, I'd like to do that. You know, that's, I decided right then that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an astronaut, a fighter pilot. And after talking with my parents, decided that I would go to the Air Force Academy because many of those pilots were Air Force pilots. And I would, uh, you know, that was my plan. Fifth grade, made that decision. Go to the Air Force Academy, become a fighter pilot, and hopefully go on to become an astronaut. And you stuck with it. You were in the air to some capacity. You know, during that Challenger explosion, I was homesick from school. And it just, that moment, that image is just vivid. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because I've talked to a lot of other pilots that are my age range, and I'm not the only one that had this response to the Challenger accident. And I think it's such a tribute to those those astronauts that died doing what they believed in, you know, something bigger and more important than themselves, that then they had this following of young people at the time who said, you know what, I want to do that too. You know, and I, I, I love that. I'm not the only one that that went on to aviation and the military um, after watching the challenger. It's wonderful to hear. I, I was unaware of that and how that would have a positive, you know, yeah. impact. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of, I look at this incident for me in Iraq and, you know, it was, it was obviously not the most positive incident that occurred, but I, you know, I think sometimes those negative things that happen, the challenging things that we have in our life, the things where we feel like we're at our worst or hit our lowest points. I think sometimes those moments more than any others can have a positive impact if you take the lessons from them. 
um, because I feel like that moment for me changed everything. I mean, it made me a better person, a better pilot, a better leader. I really took the lessons from that. And granted, I've had 20 years to reflect on it now to really take the lessons and apply them throughout my life, whether it was my life as a leader and commander in the Air Force, leading more than a thousand military and civilian personnel to being a mom of two boys at home while my husband deployed. You know, it really, I tried to take those lessons and the things I learned and the experience that I had and really apply it throughout my life. Real sacrifices come into play there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So if we could talk about failing forward for a minute, yeah, you lost a Top Gun experience in your training or you'll correct me if I'm wrong by one degree. So tell us about that moment. How did you feel and what did you glean? <laughs> yeah. So very early in my career when I was a bit of a, I would say, um, I, well, I was a younger fighter pilot that had probably a little bit more confidence than I should have. We'll call it a little bit of cockiness to go with it, which, uh, I, I was competing in a top gun competition, which is a, a bombing competition and whoever scores the best, you know, wins competition, but we are also evaluated on our parameters like dive angle, airspeed, how close our bombs are to the target. So we can have a really good bomb, but if we, our parameters are off, we can be penalized and we get, let's see, we got six bombs each. And I went out to the range with my six bombs and I was, I was very confident in my performance. Like I was like, oh, I rocked that. That was really good. I was really excited. And then just before the award ceremony, our weapons officer, he's like the most experienced pilot in the squadron. Um, he found me in the hallway and he was like, hey, Casey, I want you to know you almost won, but you missed winning by one degree. And I was like, what do you mean I miss winning by one degree? And he said, yeah, you know, your all your bomb scores were great, but your safe escape maneuver was off by one degree. And a safe, safe escape maneuver is how we, we max perform the airplane to get away from the bomb blast, um, which in training, they're just practice bombs. There's no actual bomb explosion. So I was kind of like, well, what does one degree in training really matter, right? <laughs> and it, Thankfully, he took that question as like this opportunity to teach me a few lessons and remind me that, you know, one degree in trading really matters because in with actual bombs, a, a one degree error can be catastrophic for airplane and pilot. And so, you know, he reminded me of that, that attention to detail matters, that precision matters. But also, I think more importantly, it was like, hey, we got to be able to learn from our mistakes. And this was a mistake. You need to learn the lesson. Don't do it again. Uh, and, you know, that idea of holding each other accountable, that we're not just going to let each other get away with small errors because they can turn into big errors in the long run. So it was a mistake. It happened early, but also changed really my mindset and the way that I looked at it, like looked at those mistakes was, all right, I got to be able to learn from these things. Those small errors do matter. Um, but learn the lesson. Don't do it again and move on. And that's huge. As long as you learn from the mistake, the failure, yeah. and you try harder the next time, you might not fully succeed, but as long as you kind of change that trajectory, that matters yeah. so much. Yeah. And my weapons officer, he, you know, he's very experienced. I'm young in the squadron and he, you know, there was a little ego bruising there for me. I was like, oh yeah, I could have won this thing, which would have been awesome. But, you know, he, he came to me with the mistake of like, hey, I want you to learn from this. I mean, yeah, there was a little poking of fun of like, hey, really, you know, one, one degree, come on, Casey. But then he was like, but it's important. We're going to learn from this. 
and ideally you improve and uh, come back and win it the next time, which I finally did later in my career, had another opportunity to compete in a Top Gun competition and won the competition. And the awesome part was he was in the room. So, you know, we, we rotate squadrons. So you're not always going to have the same people around and he was in the room. So he, he kind of looked over and gave me that smile. Like, you know, see, I knew you could do it. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. That's it was, a- it's always, you know, it's nice when you win the t- competitions with the other fighter pilots for sure. Yeah. A little victory. And I owe you another congratulations. You're now a published author. Yeah, right. it's exciting and scary at the same time. And your book is flying in the face of fear. Yeah, it comes out March 8th, uh, 2023. And, you know, I finally decided I am such a proponent of sharing stories and lessons learned with the idea of, you know, sharing from the mistakes, the failures, the successes, the triumphs, sharing all of those things, I think is so important to help make other people better to help other people learn and grow. Because I feel like Throughout my career, so many people did that for me. They were vulnerable. They shared those lessons. And I thought, you know what? It's time to do it. It's time to put it down on paper, share the stories, share the experiences. And so that's what the book is. It is my stories and my experiences, but the lessons. And that it's 12 lessons on leading with courage and how we can lead with courage either as leaders of large teams, leaders of small teams, leaders of families, but it's these ideas of leading with courage and overcoming whatever fears we have to step up and take action. And, you know, it's exciting to have the book out there. It's exciting to see it finally come to fruition, but I think it's just, you know, it's a reminder to people like fear is okay. It is a normal response. It is all about what you do with it. And it's a reminder that you can't actually have courage without that fear. And so it is a normal response. It's a normal reaction. But most importantly, it is what do you do with it? That's what truly matters. And of your 12 steps of courage, which one's your favorite, Casey? Oh, gosh, a favorite? That's a really good question. I'm going to have to think about that. You know, I, I, um, hmm. That's a good question. I think probably the one when I look at kind of the pivotal moments in my life and the pivotal things that matter the most, there's so many. I'm going to, I'll see if I can drill down to maybe more, one or two. There's one lesson that I learned very early in my career of facing rejection, facing failure, and feeling like it was the end of the road for me. I had, um, The only thing I wanted to do in life was become a fighter pilot and go to the Air Force Academy. And I got a rejection from the Air Force Academy. The letter said a lot of nice things, but what I took away from it was you're not good enough. You know, a very competitive process, but sorry, uh, you're you're not uh, in the top right now. And that was this defining moment for me. And so I, you know, learning and to overcome, to persevere, that was such an early point in my life, I feel like it could have gone, you know, a couple of ways. And I chose to keep going. I chose to keep fighting. I chose to learn from that experience and move on. And so maybe that is my favorite because I think it was such a pivotal point. It really could have defined the trajectory of my life. Um, You know, it could have changed everything if I had quit when times were tough. And so, you know, ask me again later, I might give you a different answer. But I think right now, that's probably one of my favorite lessons, because it was so pivotal and so important. No one would ever think 
that you you got rejected, right? No yeah. one, with all of your success. And so that's wonderful that you share that and that journey. So thank you, because we need more stories of failure and how we persevere. Yeah. So Casey, as we wrap today, and this has been such a great conversation, fighter pilots say, and correct me if I'm wrong, push it up and take it to the next level. So how are you going to take it to your next level? <laughs> That's like, I love that. Um, you know, I feel, I feel like for me, push, continuing to push myself outside my comfort zone. I will tell you that writing the book, uh, writing the book is an outside my comfort zone. Publishing the book and putting it out there is definitely outside my comfort zone because it feels very vulnerable to me. It, it, these are my stories. These are my personal experiences. And I, I share a lot with people about some of the really hard things that I've gone through because I think it will help people. So I think part of that is continuing that mindset of sharing those experiences. Um, I, I, I joked with my husband, like, I'm going to spend so much time on this book and then I'm not going to have the courage to publish it. And, you know, he always laughed. And at this point, you know, the book is out there. It's coming out. It's got a publisher. It, it's moving. But I think, you know, continuing to do things like that, to be willing to share with people, um, because for me, it's that pushing myself outside my comfort zone is my way to push it up and to step it up to that next level. I can echo that having published a book last year. Yeah. It's so exciting. And then you say, okay, you hope people buy it. Then you hope people yeah. like it. And then I, yeah. I use the same word. Oh, this is vulnerable. People know what's in my head. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, I, it's this feeling of like, I don't want to let people down. Like I want to serve them in a way by providing them with these ideas. And, you know, I want them to be able to look at it and go, oh, I haven't thought about it in that way. It's just a different way of looking at things. You know, this, this book is for, I would say for emerging leaders that are new to the leadership and are looking for ideas. But I think it's also for experienced leaders who are just looking to have a new perspective on things. And so that's my hope. That's my goal that it will help guide people, give them some ideas, give them some, give them a different way of looking at things. But yeah, there's that, you know, there's still in that back of my mind, gosh, I just, I don't want to let people down. I want, I want to, I want this to be good for them, which is why I've worked so hard on it and continue to work so hard on it. And that's my, you know, that's how I continue to try to push it up and take it to that next level. Well, there's that courage and confidence shining through. So Casey, killer chick, it's been an honor. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, was I right? Did you sweat? Were you on the seat of your chair listening when Kim talked about not ejecting over Baghdad and landing that plane that was hit? I saw pictures of this warthog and it looked like Swiss cheese. So it was truly skill, miracle, her guardian angel, whatever you want to call it, looking over her shoulder, helping her land that plane. But also, it was this innate nature that Casey has, tapping into her clarity, courage, confidence, decisiveness, and balance. In my opinion, she tapped into all five of my pillars of my calculated risk-taking when she decided to land that plane. The three key takeaways from my great conversation with Casey is one, fear is not about being afraid. Fear is about how you act in the moment, how you respond in the moment, what you learn and glean, 
and how you behave the next time around. Secondly, the art of confidence. Confidence is about putting in the work to become confident, never giving up. And in order to become confident, it takes time. Patience, they say it's a virtue. And lastly, one degree matters. It certainly matters as a fighter pilot, but one degree matters in any job, situation, or experience. One degree can make all the difference. I encourage you to check out Kim's new book, Flying in the Face of Fear, on Amazon. And while you're in Amazon, selfishly and a shameless promotion, I'd love for you to also put in your cart my book, Full Steam Ahead, Triumphant Tales for Working Women to Overcome Adversity, Fear, and Self-Doubt, either for you or someone else that's contemplating career reinvention. Thank you and stay courageous. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.